Greetings, listeners. We're delighted that you're joining with us today on this edition of the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. It's June 15th, and we are halfway through this month that welcomes the summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and each day it's my pleasure to be sharing this time in which we read through the Bible. As a tour guide, I also hope to offer a summary of highlights from our daily excursions in the Old and New Testaments, and then we will go before the Lord in prayer with a spirit of thanksgiving and ask the Lord to enable us to apply what we've been learning to the way we live. It's encouraging to hear from listeners and to know that you are benefiting from these daily podcasts. Some have told me that they are learning something new every day, even though they've read through the Bible before, and this is the way it should be. We read with a prayerful disposition that the Lord would open the eyes of our heart's understanding and that we will learn more of our Savior and our God and walk in His way in the power of His resurrection life through the Spirit. Currently, in our reading from the Old Testament, we're reading the histories of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, all of which are recorded as doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, most of which also did evil, with a few exceptions of those who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The sad story is that the kingdom is divided and on the road to a foretold judgment due to the people's unfaithfulness to the God with whom they entered into a covenant. God will show himself faithful to his promise to put the right man on the throne. We have met the right man, the promised son of David, when we got to the New Testament. And his kingdom is not of this world, and yet it will bring transformation to this world. In the New Testament book of Acts, we see how the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of his victory through the cross will bring transformation to all who believe, to the Jew first, but as we will see today, to the Gentile world also. So let's start with our Old Testament reading. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use this time to build us up in the truth of your word, that you would inspire us to greater obedience, and that our heart's understanding truly would be enlightened with the knowledge of your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first reading is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read through to chapter 15, verse 24, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Prophecy Against Jeroboam At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go, tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people, and made you leader over my people Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it to you, 
and yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free, in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam, as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die." and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and root up Israel out of this good land, that he gave to their fathers, and scatter them beyond the Euphrates, because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed, and came to Terzah. And as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was twenty-two years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. Now Rehoboam the son of Solomon reigned in Judah, Rehoboam was forty-one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah, the Ammonite. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made, and King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze, and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard, who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guardroom. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite, and Abijam his son reigned in his place. Chapter 15. Abijam Reigns in Judah 
Now in the eighteenth year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his place. In the twentieth year of Jeroboam king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah, and he reigned forty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and gave them into the hands of his servants. And king Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you a present of silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to king Asa, and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and conquered Ijon, Dan, Abelbeth, Maacah, and all Chinneroth, with all the land of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah, and he lived in Terzah. Then king Asa made a proclamation to all Judah, none was exempt, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building. And with them king Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might and all that he did, and the cities that he built, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in his old age he was diseased in his feet, and Asa slept with his fathers, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father, and Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of First Kings. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. The prophet Ahijah was held in special regard by King Jeroboam. It was Ahijah 
who first brought word to Jeroboam of his God-given opportunity to reign over Israel. If he proved to be faithful to walk in the ways of the Lord, he would be blessed and the head of a blessed dynasty. Jeroboam's unrepentant self-directed worship and the illness of his son and apparent heir, Abijah, put all promised blessings in jeopardy. Jeroboam's own conscience witnessed to the fact that he was not right with God. Fear provoked him to inquire about the future of his sick son by the deceitful means of disguising his wife and appeasing the prophet with ten loaves of bread. But the prophet Ahijah, although now old and blind, would not be fooled. He was blind, therefore her disguises were of no use. Through the exercise of his spiritual faculties, he discerned her true identity from the moment of her arrival and announced that the son of Jeroboam would die. Concerning Jeroboam, the Lord said, You also have done more evil than all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourself other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 9. Notice that in the written accounts of the kings of Israel and Judah, David is held up as a benchmark of one whose worship was devoted exclusively to the one true God, Yahweh. Jeroboam is held up as a benchmark of sin, a man devoted to self-directed worship and oblivious to the revelation of God. Both men had hearts of worship, one to the self-revealed God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the other to his self-centered religion, catering to his own understanding and lusts. Ahijah gives a prophecy pertaining to the house of Jacob that will prove true. Jeroboam's son, Abijah, will die as soon as Jeroboam's wife returns to Terzah and crosses the threshold of her house. He will be the only one in the household of Jeroboam who will be given a decent burial. According to the word of the prophet, Abijah will be the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found any good. In this case, the death of the child is seen as the child's reward and the parent's punishment. Not only was the kingdom now divided, but the north, under Jeroboam, and the south, under Rehoboam, were soon continually at war with each other. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 30. The story of the kings of Israel and Judah continues. We learn from their examples. Kings from both the north and the south do evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet a few in Judah, like Asa, do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 15, verse 11. Don't be confused by the two Abijahs. Abijah, the son of Jeroboam of the northern kingdom of Israel, died as prophesied before coming to the throne of Israel. Abijah, son of Rehoboam of the southern kingdom of Judah, became Rehoboam's successor. What do we know about Abijah? He committed all the sins his father, Rehoboam, had done before him. He did not have the heart of his greater ancestor, David. This story should provoke us to ask the question, what kind of example are we setting before our children? Abijah's son, Asa, breaks the family pattern of apostasy and purges Judah from the sins of his forefathers, Rehoboam and Abijah, expelling idols and the male shrine prostitutes from the land. Asa did not let family sentiment get in the way of his fidelity to the Lord. He not only confronted his mother, but deposed her from her royal position of influence. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah, and Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 13. 
These passages remind us of the importance of having our minds renewed and our hearts right with God. Instead of doing what is right in our own eyes or the eyes of others, our supreme concern should be to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. We must be ready to do the hard thing without the interference of sentimentality. God is mindful of what He wants to accomplish in our lives. Therefore, let us not leave anything undone. Exceptions to otherwise faithful kings are recorded in God's book. David's failure with Bathsheba and Uriah and Asa's failure to remove the high places. Now let's go to our New Testament reading from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. We are reading the account of Peter and Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And this concludes today's reading from the New Testament portion in the book of Acts. Cornelius was a God-fearing Gentile stationed at Caesarea, a centurion supervising an Italian battalion. About 3 p.m. he had a vision of an angel of the Lord who gave orders for him to send men to Joppa and bring to him Peter, who is staying at the house of a tanner near the sea. 
Meanwhile, Peter has a vision during his noonday prayer time on the rooftop in Joppa. He is hungry and thinking about food, and to his surprise, he sees what appears to be a great sheet with unclean animals on it, and a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. According to the Mosaic Laws of Separation, in Leviticus chapter 11, certain foods were considered unclean and were not to be eaten. These laws made it difficult for Jews to be with Gentiles without being defiled. Peter protests the invitation, claiming to be a good Jew who would only eat kosher foods. The vision is repeated, and on the second time, the voice adds, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. The vision is repeated a third time. Peter's taboo-conscious scruples cause him to be resistant at first. God was making it clear that he was changing the rules and Peter was struggling with this. Peter's repeated vision made it clear that the middle wall of partition of the ceremonial law that separated the Gentiles from the Jews had come down with the finished work of Christ. The Holy Spirit used this vision to show Peter that the gospel was the good news of salvation to all people, Gentiles and Jews. His heart was prepared to do what God would call him to do next, preach the gospel to a God-fearing Gentile Roman officer. As Peter is questioning what the vision meant, the two men and the soldier deployed from Cornelius are knocking on the door of the house where Peter had been staying. The Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and tells him to accompany the three men to Caesarea. Normally a Jew would not let a Gentile into his house, as they would defile it. Peter had three heaven-sent visions, calling him to partake of what was once thought as unclean, but is now cleansed. Now three men, normally considered unclean, whom God now sees as clean, were to do what was formerly taboo. They entered the home where he was staying. This episode shows how God prepares his servants for what lies ahead. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 133, The Unity in Christ Foreshadowed. A Song of Ascents of David When Brothers Dwell in Unity Psalm 133 Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Notice that the unity is all based on and found in one person. This psalm focuses on Aaron, the great high priest. Our unity starts with submission to God, as his life and will are communicated through the person of the great high priest, the greater Aaron, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the anointed head of the body, the great high priest, who on the basis of his perfect once and for all sacrifice has been exalted and now sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. As a result of his finished work, he is exalted and given a name that is above every other name in Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. His name is as ointment poured forth, Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 3. The Holy Spirit, who communicates all the glorious attributes of Christ's name, is now given to the Church, which is the body of Christ. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which commenced at Pentecost, is the result of Christ's glorification, in John chapter 7, verses 38-39. through 39. 
Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edges of his robes. The beard speaks of all that is rooted in the head. The anointing of the Holy Spirit communicates Christ and mediates his life to every member of the body of Christ. Jesus told Saul of Tarsus that when he was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Christ. Just as the woman with an issue of blood touched the hem of Christ's garment and was healed, so people can come to know Christ and his saving power as members of his body are filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly proclaim the gospel. Psalm 133, verse 3, It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The Holy Spirit brings the freshness of the heavenly places down to earth. Christ fulfilled all the demands of the Mosaic Covenant on our behalf, fulfilling every demand of the law on our behalf, so that we could share in what He has rightfully earned, a commanded blessing. And what is that blessing? That we might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. This is life eternal. This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verse 3. How do we know God? We know God by believing who Jesus is and what He has done. He is the Word of God. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He died taking the wrathful punishment that our sins deserved. When we trust Him for our salvation, receiving Him as He is, the risen Lord of all, we will be willing to turn from our sins and follow Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. The unity of the Christian Church is found in the one life that we share the risen life of our Lord who dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. A Christian is someone who has come alive with Christ's life and now belongs to Christ. In Romans chapter 8-9 we read, However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That life is given as a free gift to the repentant sinner who turns from their sins and trusts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We are not called to strive to achieve unity or attain unity. If we have His life, we are to strive to preserve this that we have in common. Get rid of anything that is not rooted in His life. If you are to preserve the unity of the Spirit, you must endeavor to not let anything else dominate your life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now let's read today's proverb, Proverbs chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Fine speech is not becoming to a fool. Still less is false speech to a prince. A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. These proverbs make their point by highlighting the incongruities. Excellent speech is what you expect from princes rather than fools. Lying lips are what you would expect from the fools. But we need to be alert, lest we are deceived by princes, or miss a nugget of truth or wisdom that might come surprisingly from someone who is not accustomed to excellent speech. In the second proverb, we note that the law of God forbade the taking of bribes. 
Exodus chapter 23, verse 8, You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. The proverb is highlighting that a wise person learns from experience that a thoughtful gift can be helpful, that is, it can work its charm in gaining a successful reception. I believe the New King James Version captures this sense. A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Now let's go before the Lord in thankful prayer. Father, thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Thank you for the good news of salvation, that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has satisfied the demands of your perfect justice on our behalf. On the ground of our own righteousness, we all stand condemned. But because you baptize us by the Spirit, instantly positioning us into Christ the moment we believe, we stand on the ground of His righteousness, free from condemnation and blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Teach us to stay clear of lies and false religious systems that advocate salvation by our own works, achievements, or merit. May we be bold communicators of your word of grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends, for joining with us as we have concluded today's portion of the One Year Bible. We hope that this daily exercise of taking in God's Word will bring about a renewal of your mind and that you will find this day your spirit is being lifted up and you are seeing things from a heavenly perspective. Remember that you need not give in to the giant despair you have the key of promise in God's Word. If you would like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries or how you can participate and uh, contribute to the work of the Gospel, you can visit our website, newlife.org, and there you can also subscribe to getting a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on the day's reading from the One Year Bible. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write an email to us at podcast at newlife.org. So until next time, may you be filled to overflowing with the joy of knowing that God has given us his best in Christ Jesus our Lord.